You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, good morning to you. Uh, my name is Matt Luloyan. Uh, if we've uh, not met before, I serve as one of the pastors here at Liberty Church and uh, grateful uh, to have you with us this morning. Uh, as Shane mentioned earlier, we have reached uh, today the end of our summer in the Psalms. Uh, and we're going to close out the series by looking at the final Psalm, which is Psalm 150. Uh, so if you have uh, your Bible with you, you can start to make your way there. If you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, page 526 is where you'll find that text um, today. We didn't get a chance to go through every psalm, of course. We only were in this series for about 14 weeks, so we had kind of a sampling of various psalms this summer. Uh, But wanted to end, even though we didn't go through all of them, wanted to end with Psalm 150, because what what we're going to see this morning as we read it in a moment is that at the end of the matter, uh, at the end of all things, everything is praise. Everything is praise. All of the pain and the suffering and the betrayal and the confusion that's been said, that's been sung about in the Psalms, even the sampling that we've looked at this summer, all of that builds to these five final Psalms where it's all praise, joyful worship of, of, the, of our, the Lord our God. And this last Psalm in particular, Psalm 150, is truly all praise. That word praise appears 13 times in this very short Psalm, literally once per line. Every line of Psalm 150 is a line of praise. What does that mean for our lives? What do we learn from this? Let me pray for our time this morning, and then let's dive into Psalm 150 together. So let me pray for us. Almighty and gracious Father, the true understanding of your word helps us to grow into the fullness of salvation that you hold out to us, that you offer us in Jesus Christ. So grant this morning that we might hear and grasp your word with all diligence and faith, that we might rightly understand your gracious will, that we might cherish it, that we might live by it with all earnestness to your praise and to your honor. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, who is our Savior, who is our God. Amen. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is the 150th Psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. What is praise? What is praise? If we're going to look at a psalm that says praise 13 times, we should start by understanding what what praise actually is. Praise is expressed adoration and gratitude. Expressed adoration and gratitude. When we adore something, when we approve of something, when we're grateful for something, and we then find a way to express that, whether it be with our voices, writing, our actions, or even our thoughts, that expression is what we would call praise. And we praise 
many things, some rightly and some wrongly. But ultimately, praise belongs to the Lord our God. All of the other things that we would rightly praise are actually meant to be a window that we look through and see God and the work of God on the other side. And so that's why the psalmist is calling the people of God in this final psalm to praise God with everything they have. So this morning, three things we're going to consider about praise from Psalm 150. There's the scope of praise, the hope of praise, and then the power of praise. The scope of praise, the hope of praise, and I couldn't make the third one rhyme, I tried. The power of praise. So first, the scope, the scope of praise. Uh, If you've been around the church, if you maybe grew up in the church, or you've been around the church for a while for some other reason, uh, you've likely complained at some point or another about how repetitive some songs can be. Maybe you want to confess that they've complained about the repetition. Okay, uh, the one that always comes to mind for me is the song, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever. Anybody remember that song from a couple decades ago? It was like some worship leaders said, you know, forever, you say, challenge accepted. <laughs> challenge, they were going to test us to see if we were really serious about the forever part of that. And some student, you know, I was a student at the time that that song was fairly popular and being sung a lot. We thought ourselves quite clever that we would sometimes substitute the lyrics, we've been singing this song forever, instead of the actual chorus that was sung. Here's the thing I want you to see this morning. Repetition itself is not a product of contemporary Christian music. It has always been part of the songs of God's people. Even some of the psalms we didn't get to this summer, like Psalm 118, Psalm 136, the repetition of lines like, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, they're in there like 50 times in each of those psalms. Now, I understand the the concern. Some repetition is vain and empty. And worse, some repetition is actually manipulative. It's It's an attempt to emotionally manipulate people and kind of whip people up into a frenzy. But here in the very word of God, in the conclusion, the doxology to the entire book of Psalms, there's a lot of repetition. Praise, 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 13 times. And here in Psalm 150, the repetition actually serves to display the scope of God's praise. Scope of God's praise. Just what is that scope? Well, Psalm 150 answers that with the where, the why, the how, and the who of praise. So let's just step through those things quickly. Verse 1 is the where. Where? And the psalmist says, both in his sanctuary and in his mighty heavens. So God is praised both on earth and in heaven. In the Bible, we get these glimpses of what is playing out in heaven. Angels, living creatures, saints, singing and shouting and worshiping God around his throne. And this unseen, this unheard praise is always happening over and over again, repetitive, over and over again. It's playing out all the time. But it's not just happening in heaven. We, people on earth, are invited to join in. And the sanctuary that the psalmist mentions here, the sanctuary in the temple, was the place where God dwelt with his people. As the prophet Isaiah wrote, which we heard this morning in our words of encouragement, God dwells both in the high and holy place, his mighty heavens, and also with those who have a contrite and humble heart, who draw near to him in humility and in reverence. 
See, praise is possible in all places because God is both transcendent and imminent. So he's transcendent. He is holy. He is perfect. He is separate as he inhabits his mighty heavens. But he does not, even as he inhabits his mighty heavens, he does not remain far off. He is imminent. He comes near. And he invites us not only to know him, but to relate to him, to love him, and to to be loved by him. If God were only transcendent, we wouldn't praise him, we couldn't praise him on earth. We couldn't know enough about who he is. We couldn't draw near to him to praise him. On the other hand, if God were only imminent, if he was near to us, he couldn't be praised in heaven. He wouldn't be holy enough. We, we need something better, something separate, something other and greater than we are. But God is both transcendent and imminent, and therefore he is praised both in heaven and on earth. In other words, where is God praised? He's praised everywhere. Everywhere. Verse 2, then, is the why. And the psalmist says, Praise God for both his mighty deeds and according to his excellent greatness. So we're praising God both for what he's done, his deeds, as well as his nature and his character, his greatness. The deeds that, that the psalmist has in mind here would include both God's deeds of creation and his deeds of redemption. And throughout the Psalms, even the sampling that we've been in together this summer, we've recounted many of these deeds, both the beauty and the majesty, the wonder of all that God made in creation. And also, all of these different ways that God came to the help and came to the aid of his people. We've celebrated God in the Psalms as our refuge and our fortress and our deliverer and our salvation. We sometimes quip, that people who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. True enough. True enough. But the real point of history is not avoiding mistakes. The real point of history is praise. It's praise. It's to remember and to recount the great things that God has done. It's to, again, fix our eyes on him in order to battle the ignorance or the amnesia that makes us so anxious and grumbling and stingy and self-centered. Moreover, even in times when we feel so far removed from God's mighty deeds, where those are hard to perceive, we can always praise God for his nature and his character, simply for who he is. James Boyce writes that when the psalmist here speaks of God's greatness, of his surpassing greatness, this entails God's sovereignty and his complete control and rule over everything, his holiness his omniscience, that he knows everything, his immutability, that he never changes, his love, his grace, his goodness, his compassion, his justice, his truth, and his wisdom. So why praise God? Pick a reason. Pick a reason. Meditate upon any one of those attributes or the other ones that even aren't listed there. Recall any one of his mighty deeds, and we will find more than enough reason to express our adoration and our gratitude to God. So that's the where and the why. Verses 3 through 5 then are the how of praise. And the psalmist says, use wind instruments, use string instruments, use percussion instruments, even, trigger warning for all the Baptist folks in the room, dancing, dancing. You can dance in praise of God. Okay, Actually, coming from a Presbyterian background, which is my background, we don't really know what to do all the time with passages like Psalm 150. Uh, We're good with instruments, 
But loud instruments, maybe not. And dancing in worship, that's way too expressive. Way too expressive. A Presbyterian translation of Psalm 150 would read more like, praise him with approving nods. Uh, Occasionally you can lift your hands, but no touchdowns. No touchdowns, only carrying the flat screen. You know, keep the hands kind of at waist level. That's permitted. Now, joking aside, I just I want to say this morning, can I just say how proud I am of us and of you for how we entered into worship together even last Sunday? Uh, we sang last week the song, Death Was Arrested. And in both worship services, both the 8.30 service and this service, the 10.30, you were just belting it out. You were singing loud and even dared to clap afterward, not because Jordan and the team led us so well, which they certainly did, but in what I just perceived to be a moment of spontaneous and sincere praise. It was like we together felt the truth of Jesus' mighty deed of his resurrection that, that just standing there quietly together after the song ended wasn't enough. Something else had to come out, and it did. So let's do that more, shall we? Let's do that more. Praise is expressed adoration and gratitude. And it doesn't always have to be loud. It doesn't always have to involve movement and instruments like this, but it can, and it should. Sometimes it should so, so well up in us that it, that it has to come out, that we have to give expression to it. And we are not in praising God. We are not after emotionalism at all, but nor are we after stoicism, expressed adoration and gratitude. All of that to say, the how of praise is that we are to use everything we have. If you have musical instruments, use them. If you have a voice, use it. Use your body, even use your feet in dancing. Use what is at your disposal to praise the Lord. And then verse 6, the last verse of the psalm, who, who should praise? Everything that has breath. There is one qualification. If you have Breath in your lungs today. If you have breath in your lungs in this moment, use that breath to express your adoration and your gratitude to God. Altogether, I hope you're seeing something of this. This is the comprehensive scope of praise. Everything that has breath, praising everywhere, for every reason, both God's deeds and his attributes, using anything and everything they've got. And as the Psalms conclude, This is not only a call for for God's people, it's actually a glimpse of the world to come. It's a glimpse of a life of praise without end. So second, second, let's consider the hope of praise. A Scottish minister named Alexander McLaren writes, this psalm is more than an acrostic close of the Psalter. It is a prophecy It proclaims the certain end of the weary years for the individual and for the world. I'm going to say that again. It proclaims the certain end of the weary years for the individual and for the world. Psalm 150 is a foretaste of forever. This is where all of life, this is where all of history is heading. In the book of Revelation, the the apostle John sees a vision of this future And it looks and it sounds a lot like Psalm 150. He writes in Revelation chapter 5, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. In other words, everything that has breath. Saying to him who sits on the throne 
and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That's where all of history, that's where all of life is heading. Now, some days that future feels so far off, we can't even imagine a life where all of the pain and the suffering and the lamenting and the longing and the fears are just gone, where the only thing that is left is joy, where there's really nothing else left except adoration and except gratitude, except praise of God. But that's where the Psalms are, as one author puts it, a miniature of life. The Psalms, the book of Psalms is a miniature of life. At the beginning of this book is Psalm 1, which lays out these principles. The the ones who delight in God, who delight in God's word are blessed. It's the wicked who will perish and fall away. And in Psalm 2, the, the true king is on his throne. Those two initial Psalms set us on a journey that ultimately arrives here. At Psalm 150, where everything that has breath is using everything it has to praise God. Now, what's in between? What's in between? Dozens and dozens of psalms which recount the real and varied and wearisome experience of life in this world. Of life as we wait for this kind of unending praise. And when we get to the New Testament... We learn from Jesus and from his apostles, we live in both the already and the not yet. The kingdom of God is already among us, but it is not yet brought to its full completion, to its consummation. Our lives play out in the days between God's redemption and God's restoration. That redemption has been accomplished already through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus but he has not yet reconciled the world to himself. He has not yet restored this earth to the goodness it had when God originally created it and called it good. One day he will. One day he will. One day, as we're actually going to sing together to close our service this morning, one day he will make all things new. And when we praise, when we heed the call of the psalmist and we use everything at our disposal to express our adoration and gratitude to God, what you and I do is we are bringing that future into the present. We're singing that future into the present. And here's what I hope you see this morning. You can praise God for both and from both the already and the not yet. Sometimes praise flows from the not yet, from the longing that we have for God to make all things new, where we are clinging to the nature and character of God, especially in those days where it's really hard to see in person. And we're recounting his promises of all that he said he would do, even if he has not yet done it. We don't have to pretend that we're further along that journey than we actually are. Some people get get this impression that Christians have to act happy all the time. And if you're here maybe exploring Christianity, if you're here maybe considering what it is that you believe, maybe that's been your impression. Man, Christians are just people that like pretend nothing's wrong with the world and bury their head in the sand and act happy all the time. Maybe that's been really off-putting to you. I want you to see this morning, that's not true. It's not true. We as the people of God hope for what we do not yet see in full. We long for the fullness of the kingdom of God that we do not yet experience. So we praise, not out of some misplaced sense of triumphalism, not burying our heads in the sand to the things that are broken and wrong with the world, 
but in confidence that this really is where all of life and all of history is going. Sometimes we praise to bring that future into the present. Other times, praise really does flow, though, from the already, where where we actually are or we have seen the restoration that Jesus has accomplished, where we really do feel that truth and where the joy of what we have been invited into, swept up into, becomes palpable and we have to express gratitude to God for it. What I would invite you this morning to do is to not apologize for the joy when you have it. It's, it's what the redemption of Jesus brings. And sometimes, I think those of us who are sensitive to not be like overly triumphalistic in our faith, sometimes we shy away from joy. Uh, perhaps for fear of, feel, of coming across as shallow or inauthentic. Uh, perhaps because we, we don't want other people to feel bad if they're not in a place of joy today. That's good and wise to be sensitive to where other people are and to how you're being perceived. But joy is not something to apologize for. Joy is something to cultivate. It's the joy of the Lord that is your strength, our strength. And there is real joy to be found in the already of God's kingdom without stepping into that era of over-realizing the future, of the triumphalism that says, well, we're already there when we clearly are not. So today, whether it's more from the already or whether it's more from the not yet, you can praise the Lord. In Jesus, you have this hope. You have the hope of this forever future where all that will be left for you, all that will be left for us is Psalm 150 praise. So step into the hope of that praise today. Third and finally, third and finally, let's talk about the power of praise. The power of praise. Why is it so important for us to, to actually follow the call of the psalmist and praise the Lord? Well, beyond simple obedience, you know, we're told to, so we should, that's true. Beyond simple obedience, praise has incredible power. Praise is a powerful tool of both formation and invitation. Formation and invitation. So formation, an author named Gregory Beale, as he wrote a little over a decade ago, we become what we worship. We become what we worship. When we devote ourselves to someone or something, when we express our adoration and our gratitude to that something, we become more and more like it. We become conformed to the image of whatever it is that we're praising. And we are always praising something, which means that you and I, whether we want to be or not, whether whether we're aware of it or not, we're always being formed into the image of something. And we're meant you and I, along with everything else that has breath, to praise the Lord, to be formed in his story, in the true story of the world. We're meant to align our lives with reality. And we do that in large part. One of the main ways we're formed in that is by praising God. And by praising God everywhere, for every reason, with everything that we have at our disposal. When when you begin to be formed by this kind of praise, It's no longer something you can compartmentalize and simply do for like an hour or an hour and a half once a week on a Sunday morning. It starts to actually become a lifestyle. And you start to find in your day-to-day life all kinds of opportunities to praise God for things that you otherwise might never have thought to bring God into at all. So a lot of things that we could use as examples for that. Let me just share one this morning. When you notice an attractive person, 
when you notice an attractive person, rather than looking lustfully, which we know is something we should not do, we don't want to treat people as objects or treat them as they, like they belong to us and objectify them, rather than looking lustfully or rather than pretending you didn't notice and trying to just fight that battle on your own, what if that became a moment of praise? Instead of keeping God out of it, trying to figure out how to, how to navigate that in your own strength, what if you actually use that moment to express gratitude and adoration to God? And maybe it would sound a little like this. Lord, you made that person in your image. Your image bearers are a, a beautiful part of your creation. Thank you for creating beauty. You make beautiful things. Now, help me to enjoy that beauty in all the ways you've invited me to and none of the ways you haven't. What if it became a moment of praise like that? Now, if praise is something we do once a week on a Sunday morning, that's going to feel really odd. And maybe it sounds even a little awkward and odd to you this morning. That's okay. If you recognize the power praise has to form you, if praise actually becomes a lifestyle for you, you'll start to perceive the presence of God. You'll start to attend to God in all kinds of moments that you used to try to navigate on your own. So praise has power in formation. Formation. It also has power for invitation. It's an invitation specifically to the world to look and see God. It's an invitation to the world to trade all that they have and all that cannot and is not satisfying them for all that is better. It's an invitation to the world to join the people of God, to become part of the people of God, and to add their voices to his praise. When the psalmist closes with this line, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, there's a, a missional component to this end of the book of Psalms. We actually want everything that has breath to come and to give gratitude and adoration to God. As Robert Weber wrote, there is always a witness to the restoration of the world, and you should be able to find it in the worship of the church. There's always a witness to the restoration of the world, and you should be able to find it in the worship of the church. We don't just praise God privately in our homes. We do that too, but we gather with other people. We praise publicly. And when we gather, for example, here at Liberty Church, that door is open. That door is unlocked. And maybe you've never had a chance to actually read that little poster that sits inside that door when you come in the little entryway there. If you've never done that before, I'd, I'd encourage you to pause some time and actually read what it says. But what it says, in short, is come. Come. For whatever reason, come. All who would come. Then we go out living lifestyles of praise. We take our praise out of this building, out of this room, and to the people, among the people. We find ways to express our adoration and our gratitude to God in everyday conversations and everyday situations. As ours becomes an increasingly post-Christian culture, this will stand out more and more. This will stand out more and more. Uh, there is, you know, in this moment, plenty for you and I as Christians to lament and to grieve about our, our culture's posture toward Christ toward his church. But what I hope you understand this morning, friends, is that we remain a people of praise. There is so much to lament and grieve. You remain people of praise. We are not here to lean on cultural support. We're actually here for them. We're here to invite people, especially those people who are far from God, to hear our praises and to join in. 
Some of you know I'm, I'm going to quote Eugene Peterson, so we might as well get to it. Here's what Eugene Peterson says. We speak our words of praise in a world that is hellish. We sing our songs of victory in a world where things get messy. We live our joy among people who neither understand nor encourage us. But the content of our lives is God, not humanity. We are not scavenging in the dark alleys of the world, poking in its garbage cans for a bare subsistence. No, we are traveling in the light toward God who is rich in mercy and strong to save. If you really believe that God is rich in mercy and strong to save, then no matter how hellish this world might feel at any given moment, no matter how little encouragement you might get from other people, you can lift your voice and praise God. Christian, you are not scavenging in the dark alley of this world. Can we see and acknowledge that this morning? That's not you. You are the one who has been called out of that dark alley and into marvelous light through the work of Jesus. In a world that seeks satisfaction everywhere and finds it nowhere, your praise has incredible invitational power. So praise God for the purpose of your own formation, yes, but also praise as an invitation, an invitation that is held out to the men and the women and children that we really long to see add their voices with everything that has breath and praise God. As we reach the end of this relatively short series and this last of the book of Psalms, Take up the call of the psalmist and praise the Lord. Take up the call of the psalmist and praise the Lord. One day, only praise will remain. One day, Revelation chapter 11, the kingdom of this world shall become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so today, let us sing that future into the present. For your own formation, praise the Lord. As an invitation, praise the Lord. In every place, for every reason, with everything you have, praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Pray for us. We truly this morning praise you, God. We give our adoration, our approval, our gratitude to you. We give you that for so many reasons. And I pray you would get so much praise this morning from the men and women in this room as we think of specific mighty deeds you have accomplished, as we think of specific attributes of you, as we long for this future that will one day be a reality. We praise you, though, most of all this morning, Father, for making your divine truth real to us in Jesus Christ. And that we get to now come to this table where we see his body broken, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins, for our life and for the life of the world. It is what, Jesus' finished work is what secures this hope that one day we will be with the psalmist praising you forever. There will only and ever be praise. So even today, as so much of that is yet undone, as we still are longing and lamenting and grieving, would you, as we come to this table this morning, strengthen us? Would you nourish us as we feast upon this finished work of Jesus? Would you renew us in the grace that you hold out to us in him? Would you strengthen us to be people who both look back and remember the already 
of what Jesus has accomplished and who look forward and long for him making all things new. Thank you, Jesus, that in your death and resurrection, you have accomplished that for us already. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.